You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning. Uh, last week we saw where conflict begins with the heart. There will be a recurring theme that we'll be seeing throughout the series. And, that co- and resolving conflict well comes first and foremost from your heart. You choose to get offended. You choose to become upset and retaliate. You decide if you keep harping on it or you let it go. You know? How we manage and deal with conflict comes from our heart. The right heart uh, leaves us to the right response. Okay? So it is important that we keep that in mind. Therefore, today, we look at our responses to conflict and how they can impact upon our relationships. But before we go there, let's bow our heads in prayer and ask God to open our hearts to receive what He has for us today. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank You for the opportunity to gather in Your house to hear Your Word being spoken. We just pray, dear Lord, that You open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to hear what You have to say today. May the meditation of our hearts and the words that we preach today be holy and acceptable to You, dear Lord. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Now the reason why we are looking at resolving conflict over eight weeks is because nobody likes it. Nobody likes being in a conflict. I'm sure most of of the people would rather have a peaceful existence. Nothing to make our blood boil. Nothing that makes us stressed and sleepless at night. and, And having broken relationships and the list goes on. When we don't have peace and I'm in conflict with someone, we all know how hard it is to get a good night's sleep. And your head is not in a good place when you're in conflict with someone. You lie there in bed, uh, your mind keeps replaying replaying the scenes of the conflict you just had with that someone day over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, I literally just had a conflict myself over a week ago with my boss. You know? So this feeling is very real to me. We think to ourselves, it's so unfair. We did everything right. We ought to be, be praised, not get told off. Just because it did not suit what the boss was thinking and he or she goes off and asks for not doing it the way that they wanted. But being bitter and angry and it's not where you want to be, is it? We know we're better off being reconciled than having, a bitter relation, than having a bitter relationship. So I'm going to tell my boss exactly what I think about what he's done. Nah, just kidding, right? Then remember the conflict comes from your heart. How we manage conflict says much about you than it says about that someone else. Or maybe it's that feeling that when you walk into a room and you know there's someone you want to avoid and you're constantly mindful of the other person and where they are just at, around the room. There's always one eye you know, keeping a lookout just in case you get too close to that person. And then inevitably you come to the moment where you accidentally bump into them and then in this inner dread surges through your body as you have to make awkward conversation with someone you wished you could have avoided. 
because you know you're not reconciled. Or maybe it's just the feeling of bitterness you wish you could shake, but you can't. Even when the person's name is being brought up in conversation, anger just wells up within you. And you replay back in your mind what they did to you. You wish you could speak well about them and you wish you could be happy for them. But honestly, sometimes you secretly wish they would just get cut back down to size to, you know, the feeling. Let's be honest here. We've all been there. But we all quietly know that that's not how we ought to live. That's not how we ought to live. We long for a peaceful night that when we lay our heads on a pillow, we feel a sense of joy and a sense of peace. We long to go about our joyful, excited day and be excited about what tomorrow brings, that relationships and all the fun we can have with one another. We long to genuinely celebrate with people in their successes and grieve with them in their pain. So, can these longings be a reality? Is it a dream? Or is reconciliation when conflict exists possible? Philemon provides us with some answers. The chapter in the Bible on Philemon is short. It's a bit, it's a bit tricky. It's written as a form of a letter. It's tricky because we have to piece together what's actually going on in the passage. So to help us understand, we need some context added to that letter. So in verse 1, we write, we hear that Paul's writing this letter to, the, to Philemon. But notice how Paul describes himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And that sets the background about what's going on. At the heart of this letter is a plea from Paul to Philemon to take back his slave called Onesimus. While slaves are not common, common now, thankfully, it was during the time of the Roman world. While slavery brings to the forefront of our mind the forced labor associated with a people group or a race, much like the images we see of historical America, Slavery during the Greco-Roman era were not necessarily all forced. Okay? During the Greco-Roman era, some people, regardless of race or color, would enter into slavery as a way to pay off a debt. Once the debt was paid, they would generally be released from the obligations. Think of it more like a house servant. Whilst some are forced, some are actually voluntary. So we need to understand the verse, we need to jump ahead to verse 18. Paul here offers to pay back Philemon for the wrong caused by Onesimus. So presumably Onesimus is working as Philemon's slave during that time. But he stole some of his money and ran away. So at the heart of this letter is a theme of reconciliation, which we explore in our study. So the question we're asking is, how does Paul achieve real reconciliation? How does he work for peace 
between Philemon and Onesimus. First, Paul says, reconciliation is possible. And this we do by the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Paul begins by expressing his gratitude for Philemon's faith in Christ and his love for the church. Philemon was a wealthy landowner who had heard the gospel, was saved, and then in verse 2, had opened his home for the church to meet. Philemon was experienced, sorry, Philemon has experienced the power of the gospel, and in verse 5, has a deep love for God and his people. But we all know how painful it can be when we get betrayed by those close to us. When people use us and take advantage of our generosity and our love. Here, Philemon was used for his money. He trusted those people. But Onesimus steals from him and then runs away to Rome. But miraculously, as Onesimus flees to Rome, he meets Paul, who shares the gospel with him too. And now Onesimus is saved and begins to serve Paul while he is in prison. Friends, God is constantly at work through our sin to achieve his plans. And now in verse 11, Paul describes Onesimus as formerly useless, but now being useful. Formerly useless, now being useful. You know, I actually don't know when exactly I became a Christian myself. I can't give you an exact date because I was born in a Christian family. But now, the reason I know I'm a Christian today is because God changed my heart. You know, before it was all about me first, me, 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 what I wanted. I prayed to God to give me this and give me that. I feel all, all it was is all about myself, about how I feel. But now I serve because I know I'm loved by God. I stand here and share the gospel with you because I know I'm loved by God. That's what the gospel does. It transforms us from the inside out. And here it changes Onesimus from someone who used others to now using his life. To serve others. In verse 8, Paul appeals to Philemon for reconciliation. But I want you to look carefully at how he does it. He says, I could command you to do this using my authority as an apostle, notwithstanding the verse 19, that you owe me your very self, since I was the one who shared the gospel with you. But Paul says, no, I'm not going to command you to forgive. I appeal to you out of love. Paul knows that genuine reconciliation cannot be commanded. You know, when you have two kids fighting, and you tell one kid, say sorry to that person, he may do it, but not necessarily willingly. And not necessarily full reconciliation, is it? 
real reconciliation isn't Philemon begrudgingly submitting to Paul and reluctantly taking back Onesimus. No, real reconciliation comes from the heart. His heart needs to make a change. If that heart doesn't change, reconciliation cannot happen. This is where Christianity separates itself from other religions. Other religions rule by command. But if you're compelled or simply commanded to do something, you just do the bare minimum possible, isn't it? Just to comply. You'll probably take back Onesimus, not because you want to, but because you have to. You might take him back, but you give him all the bad tasks to do and treat him as a second-rate employee. You receive him back, sure, but you never, ever open your heart again to him. But Christianity doesn't rule by command. Christianity rules by love. The love and forgiveness that came from Jesus Christ is the very love and forgiveness that we need to extend to others. And if we are motivated out of love, we would do it. We go above and beyond. We we'll gladly have him back because the gospel reaches into the deepest recesses of in our hearts and changes us from the inside out. It's actually quite unusual and funny how disarming love can be. Sometimes when you're preparing to confront someone, you plan all the ways to show them what they did wrong. You've got the argument you got you got your arguments prepared, you got your counter arguments ready, and you're anticipating what they're gonna say, and you know exactly what to say in response to that argument that he's gonna to raise to you. But then, when you actually confront the person, the other person ruins your plans because they're just so nice to you. They're so loving. They begin by apologizing and owning their own faults. And then straight away, all the arguments you've been planning in the last few hours just fall on the wayside. And the ones angry you, maybe find yourself apologizing too. It's so difficult to stay angry at people when they come at you with kindness and love. Because love, melts even the coldest hearts. And that's what the gospel does. That's what the gospel does. The gospel loves us first. The gospel loves us to salvation. That's why in John 3.16 it writes, For God so loved the world. And you know the rest. If your reconciliation is what you seek in your life, you first need to look <coughs> at reconciling your most important relationship with God. Because Jesus loved me first. By reconciling my most important relationship with Him, only if our vertical relationship with God is restored 
then will our horizontal relationship with others be restored. God isn't after your begrudging submission. He wants your heart. He wants you first to be at peace with Him. So that reconciliation won't be done reluctantly, but instead joyfully. Where forgiveness isn't a calculation, but is fully paid and free. Isn't it beautiful how the gospel reorders relationships? Think about the ways that our society is divided. Our, over history, we've found ways to separate people according to class, race, skin color, gender. We've seen how destructive these divisions have been, even within the church. Think about the difference in standing. Philemon, wealthy, powerful, Onesimus, a slave. Think about the statuses in society. Onesimus is a slave with limited or no power, let alone rights. Philemon, as his boss, on the other hand, had all the power, all the power and all the rights. But when the gospel, what the gospel does is it removes all these class distinctions that will prevent reconciliation. In verse 15, Onesimus will leave as a slave, but will return as a brother. The gospel is so powerful because it creates a new humanity. A humanity where we are not defined by differences, but we are defined by what we all have in common. The love of Jesus Christ. As sinful people, redeemed by God's love and brought together into fellowship with one another. All those disunity you see on the internet of churches preaching disunity comes not of God, but from the evil one. We are called to love one another, even to sacrifice for one another as Christ sacrificed for us. Just take a look at this room, we are all from different cultures, backgrounds, ethnicities, which naturally should divide us. But the power of the gospel unites us as one family. And now in love, together we work together through our differences. The other most important thing is that the pro- it is, reconciliation is the priority of the gospel. So first Paul says, the power of gospel makes reconciliation possible. But now we'll see the priority of the gospel makes reconciliation necessary. Now let's approach the characters in this letter from different perspectives. First, Think about it from Paul's. Onesimus is someone Paul shared the gospel with, has discipled in the faith, and now in verse 13, he's been serving Paul while he is in prison. 
Onesimus is someone incredibly valuable and precious to Paul, especially during this time of his suffering. But for Paul, more important than even this is the greater priority of reconciliation. More urgent than even serving Paul while he suffers in prison is that Onesimus and Philemon be reconciled in the Lord. Now, there's a leadership tool called the Eisenhower Matrix that helps managers and leaders work out how to effectively use their time. So basically, you prioritize the tasks that are urgent and important and to deprioritize those which are not urgent and not important. Think about Paul's life now. What would his matrix look like? With planting churches, surviving prison, suffering from the gospel, encouraging the saints. If Paul were to plot on the matrix here, reconciliation of Onesimus and Philemon, this, the star there, is probably where it would land. The thing he cares about most is reconciliation. Because this is the priority of the gospel. I wonder where reconciliation will land on your matrix. Where would you plot reconciliation with someone that you have a conflict with? Maybe like me, we hate the awkwardness of conflicts and we don't want the uncomfortable conversations. So we put it off. We'd rather deal with it some other time. But before long, it's weeks, months, and perhaps even years. It's perhaps now too late to even bring up the conflict that he had with that person before. So often the bitterness that lies in our heart is because we failed to have them loving conversations then and there, and instead we put it off for way too long. Friends, reconciliation is indeed no easy, is not easy, and often it comes at a cost. In Paul's case, it was a great personal cost. In verse 12, Paul says that in sending Onesimus back, he's almost as if he's sending his very heart. Obviously, we know that the heart is the vital organ that keeps us alive. And in verse 18, Paul also offers to pay back everything on this stone for the sake of reconciliation. Now for a missionary like Paul, this would have been a huge hit on his already dire circumstances. He already has limited no resources. And remember that he was writing this letter from prison. But do you see how his actions imitates the priority of the Lord Jesus who painfully and sacrificially takes on our own sin's debt but willingly, who willingly repays the debt himself so that we would be reconciled with God the Father? You see, it's precisely because Paul 
loves Onesimus. That he sends him back. It's a love that prioritizes what is best, which is to be reconciled in the Lord. Now let's swap positions now to see this from Philemon's perspective. Now in Roman society, a brutal punishment would await runaway slaves. If Onesimus was caught, the normal cause of justice would be resulted in his death. And it's in Philemon's interest to do so, to make an example of him, to show his strength, to ensure this never happens again or from anyone else. So Paul is asking Philemon to do something quite extraordinary and something that is very counter-cultural. In verse 16, not just to preserve his life and restore him as a slave, Paul is asking him to receive him as a brother. Friends, this is someone who just betrayed you and stole from you, betrayed your trust. And yet, Paul will ask him to treat him as a brother. How hard would that be? Imagine yourself in the shoes of Philemon right now. Every fiber in you being one, every fiber in you want to punish Onesimus, or at least to remind him over and over again of his betrayal. To never let him forget how much pain he has caused you. And imagine how weak Philemon will look in front of others and his peers by withholding said punishment. It was countercultural. Reconciliation is costly because we lay down our rights to retribution and to justice. And instead, you, the one who forgives, ends up bearing the pain, the injustice. Because you can't and wouldn't take it out on others. But friends, this is the priority of the gospel. Where Jesus is willingly punished instead of us. Who bears our injustice on the cross for us. And even in his pain and weakness, he cries out, Father, forgive them. Think about the person you most respect in your life. The person who shared the gospel with you, perhaps. Perhaps the person who mentored you and had a huge influence in your heart. Picture this person in your mind right now. And now, think of that person you least respect, the person who's hurt you the most, the person you dislike the most. And Paul says, you treat them as if they're them, as if they're him. Receive him as you will receive me, says Paul in verse 17. I don't know about you, that's extremely hard to do. And lastly, think about it from Onesimus' perspective. 
Now you might not have much sympathy for him. I mean, he did betray Philemon's trust. And the one who just made the way with the cash, didn't he? But think about what reconciliation would cost him too. To leave behind Paul, his father in the faith, to risk rejection by Philemon and to risk rightful punishment. And think about Onesimus going back to Philemon on his knees, holding this letter from Paul in his hands. Wouldn't it be easier for him to just run away again? But no, no. Onesimus returns to confront his sin, to seek forgiveness. His only hope for reconciliation is this letter that he holds in his hands. His only hope for peace is the reconciliation. An intercession of another on his behalf. Confronting our mistakes is also a priority of the gospel. As we ourselves stand before a holy God, confronting our sin like Onesimus, our only hope of salvation is a passionate plea of another, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ on that cross, who intercedes on our behalf. Without the gospel, reconciliation wouldn't be possible. Without the gospel, Paul wouldn't sacrifice so much to send Onesimus back. Without the gospel, Philemon would simply follow the standard convention of the day and put Onesimus to death to make an example of him to others. And without the gospel, Onesimus would never have, chained, have never had the courage to go back and confront his sins. But friends, that's what gospel does it makes reconciliation possible and it makes reconciliation necessary to conclude what is our response to conflict what is our response to conflict you know generally because of our personalities or temperament or upbringing we will tend towards one of the two responses. We either fight or we flight. When it comes to conflict, isn't it? Whilst flight may seem the easy and perhaps good because it's non-confrontational, it does not result in reconciliation. And sometimes it might actually have a negative effect of making one bitter. Now here's a diagram that's been provided in conflict courses out in many places. The diagram shows how destructive conflict takes place. All conflict starts with a real disagreement, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. It's normal, it's part and parcel of life. We're not going to agree on every single thing. But the problem is when negative assumptions about others start to form in our minds which lead to dismissive and damaging behavior, and then a destructive conflict starts. When you start second-guessing what other people are doing, or their intentions, or their thoughts, or their behavior, a conflict that was probably not meant to escalate becomes much, much worse. 
been in that situation yourself? I know I have. For example, when my boss said certain things, I was thinking to me, why do you say all that things? I started making assumptions. I started thinking negative thoughts. The gospel shows us a better way. Instead of negative assumptions and dismissive damaging behavior, the gospel gives us the courage to address conflict rather than run from it. To bring things up early so we can develop positive assumptions and works towards supportive behavior. Conflict can be constructive if handled well. And the gospel tells us how we should do it. This allows us to put into practice the mentality that because of what Jesus has done for me, I can do for others. It puts the onus on me to take the initiative. And uncomfortable, as uncomfortable as it may be, but I must be willing to speak the truth in love and address things for the sake of our growth and maturity. And like Onesimus, for some of us, we need to abandon the fear in order to achieve this. Perhaps this is a time for you to take that first step and to approach someone gently to just share what's been on your heart. What's causing that conflict? Now, the other response, as I said before, is to fight. The opposite. Perhaps you're quite ready to embrace conflict and hash things out as soon as they are an issue. Now, there is goodness to it, but that problems are also... There are, sorry, there are goodness to it, that problems are addressed early. But the difficulty is that nearly everything becomes a problem. Fighting can include attacking, seeking retaliation, or even blame shifting. And we need to be really careful with this, as we can often assume that I'm just a conflict avoider, so I'm not a fighter. But fighting can also include complaining to others, instead of speaking to the person directly. And you find yourself constantly complaining to others, uh, speaking negatively of others behind their backs, and we can often descend into what we call gossip and slander. That's not where we want to be also. The gospel shows us a better way. The gospel demands that we take a posture of weakness and humility, even, even where we are in the right. Look at how Paul carries himself to the letter. Paul the Apostle calls himself as a prisoner and an old man in verse 9. How about in verse 14? Paul the great apostle refuses to use his right of authority as an apostle to command Philemon, but appeals to him out of love. So where Onesimus will need to abandon fear, maybe like Philemon, you may need to abandon pride. Be willing to humble yourself, to overlook sins, and gently address issues as needed. Maybe people are scared of intimidated to speak with you, so you may need to take the first step to apologize and to seek to listen and to understand first. 
You know, in the army, we always used to say, you need to first listen in order to have others listen to you. The gospel critiques both approaches. The gospel simultaneously emboldens us to confront problems, but also humbles us to engage with gentleness, humility, and empathy. Now the peacemaking or reconciliation process, when we stay, it stays within the middle portion of the diagram, as you can see there in the light gray. But it's named the slippery slope for a reason. Because indeed it's so slippery and we fall towards the extreme ends so easily. It's hard to stay in the middle. Friends, we are most certainly not perfect. So let's always encourage and support one another to be peacemakers. I hope today's message has challenged you to a new way of thinking and has set you on your path on understanding the priorities of Scripture. I pray the Holy Spirit will work within you and help us to manage conflict a little better that we do so in the past from this point forward. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Our God, thank you for the letter of Philemon. Philemon. We thank you for helping us see your character, your priority in the gospel and in reconciliation. Help us to understand how we love others so that we can serve them and forgive them and be reconciled with them. Lord, we will never always see eye to eye. There will be arguments. There will be conflict. But how we deal with conflict will determine how much we understand the Gospels, and your message, and your character. Lord, challenge us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness, Lord. And help us as your disciples and your followers to adopt the right attitude, and more importantly, to adopt the right heart. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. That you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We give you honor, glory, and praise for your word and your scripture. And we pray, dear Lord, that you inscribe in our each one of our hearts today your word and your love. In Jesus' most precious and holy name we pray. Amen.